Hi, welcome. My name's Emma. I'm going to talk you through some of the science behind meditation. So meditation, if you listen to any of the previous episodes, you'll know that um, meditation has tons and tons of benefits for physical, mental and emotional well-being. So part of the reason for that is around this idea of neuroplasticity. So back as far as 1890, William James, the um, American psychologist, I believe he was, um, said that organic matter, especially nervous tissue, seems endowed with a very extraordinary degree of plasticity. So we knew this in 1890. Well, he knew this in 1890, but it's taken, it took nearly another hundred years for us to accept and to have the technology to be able to see this happening. So the capacity of the human brain to grow, change, alter itself, and continue to learn new connections is, I think, the most hopeful scientific discovery of the 20th century. The previous belief that the brain developed only in childhood and was fixed by the time you reached adulthood was found to be erroneous with the advent of neuroimaging techniques, brain scans. So the more we learn about the brain, the more potential we uncover for controlling our own physical and mental well-being. The chemical and electrical activity in the brain and the connections that are made continue to renew and alter throughout life, through everything we do, everything we think, see, feel, we are altering the structure of our brains. Sharon Begley states that the very structure of our brain, the relative size of different regions, the strength of connections between one area and another, reflects the lives that we have led. So the more that we repeat something, the greater, the bigger, the brain area that is responsible for that becomes. Which is great news if you're a tennis player with a wicked serve, less good if you are alcohol dependent, say, or have OCD or any other, uh, any other addiction or habit which is impacting your life. But the capacity of our brains to learn new skills, to rewire and find new neural pathways after injury, trauma, or even a lifetime of behavior, I think is nothing short of miraculous, to be honest. Dr. David Hamilton says that the human body is a walking miracle that has an amazing power to heal and to regenerate. And it's influenced by our mind. So he's done some amazing research into the mind and body connection. He is a, an organic chemist by background, uh, used to work in great, in big pharma um, companies. Um, and left because he became so fascinated with the placebo effect, but with the 
you know, the, the section of the results that perhaps he should have been ignoring, he was fascinated by the fact that up to 70% of the people who were taking these drugs that he'd uh, tried, sorry, up to, you know, up to 70% of the group who were just getting a sugar pill would also improve. Um, and so he is somebody that, again, I really recommend that you look, you look at um, if you're interested in this area. He's just brilliant. And a bit of art. 2009, uh, some research at UCLA uh, concluded that meditation led to an increase in the amount of grey matter in the brains of meditators as compared to people who didn't meditate on brain scans. And this grey matter um, is responsible for these kind of higher level cognitive functions like attention, decision making, self-control and even emotional stability. And on the other hand, so you know that that research was showing that the brain was growing um, in in terms of mass and grey matter. But in 2010, Sarah Lazar from Harvard concluded that <clears throat> that after eight weeks of mindfulness-based stress reduction training, the volunteers who participated showed a shrinkage in the size of the area of the brain that responds to stress, called the amygdala, when they compared them to the group who hadn't received the training and hadn't been meditating. So there's two bits of research there that show that we can grow areas of the brain through meditation that would impact us positively in terms of our mental and emotional functions but then also we can conversely shrink the area of the brain that is active when we're stressed so if you think about that and think about you know perhaps if you're if you don't meditate currently and if you think about um, where your mind goes and how your mind works if you are um, somebody who is regularly stressed and anxious if your thoughts are in a loop of worst case scenario, um, always going to what you haven't done, then those areas of your brain are highly, highly developed. And no wonder they take over, right? Whereas the areas of your brain which are responsible for self-kindness and compassion, telling you what a great job you've done that day, maybe they are severely underdeveloped which is why it's so hard for you to activate them and use them and this is why i think it's so hopeful because um even if you've spent a whole lifetime doing that this evidence shows that we can retrain the brain and we can shrink those areas and grow those areas um, and that this happens right up until death so there was one study I looked at that said um, even on their deathbed, somebody, uh, when they, they looked at uh, neural activity, something called neurogenesis, so the uh, formation of new brain cells was still happening even up to the point of death. So even when our physical body is giving up, our brain is still making new cells it's incredible okay so you know a leopard can change its spots and it can change its spots right up until the end it just depends on how hard you want to work at it all right because this takes uh, investment and this takes regular practice but it is completely possible 
So the neuroimaging techniques that, um, that came about in the 90s, um, things like MRI scans, um, EEGs, uh, and, um, and a scan that looks at the cerebral blood flow. So you know when you uh, see on brain scans which areas light up those. Um, they helped neuroscientists really observe a brain in action. Um, and previously to that, they were really dealing with uh, brains post-mortem. That was, that was all they got. They couldn't see a brain in action, couldn't see a brain working. They could only observe behaviours of people who had brain injuries, um, brain, uh, brain disease, and they could see what wasn't happening. But they couldn't see what was happening, and they couldn't see, um, they couldn't always understand how uh, a person had adapted. So with the 90s and this kind of technology became this kind of great flood of new information that we are, we are still, you know, is one of the, the least understood areas, neuroscience. Um, and it's just so exciting. I've always, always loved this, always loved it. So with the advent of all these brilliant neuroimaging uh, techniques and these scans, we were able to observe brain activity in a way that we weren't before. And understanding brain activity is really the key to help, uh, to how meditation helps us and how it works on the mind and the body. So we can look at brainwave frequencies um, using like a, an EEG machine while a person is meditating. So in everyday life, when we're just sort of, you know, doing our thing, responding to our emails, scrolling on our phone, deciding what to have for dinner, just being out and about in the world. Our brain waves are at the frequency of what's called beta brain waves. Okay, so we're conscious, we're awake, we're alert. These are fairly high frequency, so they're, they're going quite quickly. Um, so you'll know, you know, when your brain is really sort of firing and you're multitasking perhaps, and you're, you know, thinking lots of thoughts almost at the same time. And that only increases the more stressed we become. Okay, so you know when you're feeling really stressed and you cannot think straight because you've got all these things going around in your head and you don't know where to start. That is in beta brainwave and, and kind of high intensity beta brainwaves. What meditation does is brings those brainwaves down in frequency. So thinking about driving your car and taking your car out of, you know, very high first gear when you're like, you know, really over revving the engine and everything's working really hard. Imagine meditation as a gear change down to second gear. Ah, ah finally. And then maybe into third gear. So we can sit comfortably in third gear, okay? So in, on an EEG recording, that will show the brainwaves slowing down until they reach around eight to 12 cycles a second. Okay, and these are known as alpha brainwaves. So in alpha, we are awake and relaxed. So this is what happens during meditation, during yoga, and it doesn't just kind of stop the minute you open your eyes, your brain waves will remain like that 
for a little while afterwards as well. So if you've ever done a yoga class, um, you know, there's that, that phrase of being yoga stoned where, you know, you come around at the end of Shavasana and you're like, wow, am I really here? And that's because your brain is, is in those alpha brain waves. It's kind of slow and more relaxed states. Um, and so really most people can experience that you know even if you've not done much meditation you will experience this slowing down of your brain waves if you continue deeper into meditation maybe you do it for longer maybe you do it more often what you start to see is an increase in theta brain waves so these brain waves are even slower so maybe these are like fourth gear now they're so slow, there's only about four to eight per second, uh, much, much lower in frequency. So this is the state that we're in when we're dreaming or when we're in deep meditation. So in meditation, you know, you're awake, but your brain is deeply rested. And this is the state that um, some people might experience or describe as a kind of bliss state. Everything is so calm, um, so, peaceful at this point and then for for some people like say you know buddhist monks tibet monks um who meditate for hours and hours every day what we see in scans is um that their gamma brainwave activity increases as well as um coming down into the theta and the alpha, alpha, theta, brainwave activity, what increases is gamma wave activity. The gamma wave activity is extremely high frequency. So it's described as being between 40 and 70 hertz, if that means anything to you. And because it's extremely high frequency, it kind of overtakes the beta brainwaves, um, kind of trumps those. And what it does is it allows us to assimilate information from all around the brain. It brings ideas together um, simultaneously so that we can really see a bigger picture. So this is where perhaps the, the spiritual element comes in because at this point you would feel very connected and very um, at one really with everything this is what's described here if you've listened to previous episodes and you've heard me talk about my um my experience of meditating during pregnancy i wonder whether this is what's happening because i did have a couple of experiences where i saw kind of images and um i heard insights that's the only time it's ever happened but um, I wonder whether, because I was meditating so much at that point, whether I did have this kind of moment of like gamma wave activity um, and, and whether that's what's happening, who knows? So now this is something for, this is something for my girls, this bit, my girlfriends, my, um, 30 40 50 year old female friends going through perimenopause i thought i would research the benefits of meditation as 
you know, in the next 10 years, I'm likely to go into perimenopause and so are all my friends. Um, and perimenopause brings a whole gamut of mental, emotional and physiological symptoms. Um, and it also brings risk factors. So, you know, we know about like hot flushes, um, depression, anxiety, but also cardiovascular disease uh, can increase post-menopause because you've got less estrogen, which is a protective, um, a protective of the cardiovascular system of the heart. So in 2007, there was a study done where women attended uh, two meditation classes a week for eight weeks, and they were taught a specific sort of meditation. Their symptoms, they reported on their symptoms of menopause uh, before and after. And following the intervention, so two months later, after they'd done meditation for twice a week, they reported a 67% reduction in their hot flushes. Crazy. So that study was definitely suggesting that um, meditation could substantially improve menopausal symptoms to do with the vasomotor system, so with, to do with hot flushes particularly. Probably one of the symptoms that has the greatest impact on quality of life for perimenopausal women. Um, and much more recently, so there's been a study done this year, um, which looked, which has kind of looked further into the impact of meditation, not just on the symptoms, but it looks at what is going on in the blood chemistry. So specifically at the glucose levels and a specific type of cholesterol in the blood. Cholesterol obviously being uh, linked to that uh, cardiovascular risk. And what they found was that in the group of meditators, there was an overall reduction in their rating of their symptoms on something called the menopause rating scale. So just as in the previous study, you know, they were reporting less severe symptoms following the meditation uh, period. And amongst the women who were taught meditation, there were also real positive changes to their blood chemistry. So specifically in reducing glucose and reducing cholesterol. And I think in fact, even in the control group, so in the group of women who didn't get meditation, there was actually, they actually observed an increase in cholesterol in that time. So those, just those two studies um, suggest that there's a potential association between practicing meditation and being able to alleviate your menopausal symptoms. Um, hot flushes, depression, irritability have been specifically noted and also these changes to blood sugar. So not uh, blood sugar and uh, cholesterol, sorry. So impacting not only just your short term quality of life day to day, but also, you know, your longer term cardiovascular health and reducing your risk of heart disease and heart attack, stroke. Thank you for listening. I hope that that's been um, insightful and interesting for you. Um, I shall see you soon. Get in touch if there's anything you specifically want to know. Um, the next episode, I'm going to share some information about period pain.
and meditating. Um, so if menstrual cramps, uh, PMS is something that uh, you suffer with and I think I think stats are something between like 80 and 90 percent of us do um, then tune in and listen to how you can um, learn to meditate and perhaps learn to manage that a bit more effectively yourself thanks guys